welcome to today's edition of Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey podcast where entrepreneurs, employees, business owners, and individuals can become aware and transform their mindset. Welcome back to Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey. I'm your host, Joseph K. Muscat. Are you ready to take a leap with me? There's quite a percentage of people in the neo-diverse community who have not been identified and end up getting a late diagnosis in life. Today, I'm joined by such an individual who's going to share with us how things were before her ADHD diagnosis and how are things now, especially as she's building her business. Palat Perhatch's writing has been published in the New York Times, Elle, Slate, Cosmopolitan, Mary Claire, Yoga Journal, McSweeney, Internet Tendencies, and Vice. She's worked for Health and Coastal Living Magazine, as well as various newspapers. Hugo House, a national recognized writing center in Seattle, awarded her in the Made at Hugo House Fellowship in 2013. In 2016, she was nominated for the Blog Her Voice of the Year Award for her essay, A Story of Fuck Off Fund, which, which is an anthology in the future in feminism from a chronicle books along with works by Roxy Gay, Mindy Kaling, Archie Catalin, and Audie Lordy. So there goes my, my, my dyslexia coming into play with where regards to pronunciation. So here we go. Welcome, Paulette. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So I want to begin with looking into your background before your diagnosis. When you look back at your school days and later into your various careers, how would you describe your life? So very chaotic, I think, really kind of on this feeling of always being in trouble or about to be in trouble, or, you know, there was some other issue that was about to pop up. We were late or we couldn't find, you know, something or other. And it just was a lot of chaos. And then with that, a lot of, I think, you know, yelling at myself, like, why, why can't we do this better? Why, you know, why can't I keep up with other people? Why am I not as organized as other people? Why does life seem easier for other people? And when, when you were going through this, did, did, was there any indication, you know, in regards to what others may have thought in, in this regards, family members or teachers? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, one of my best friends is very organized and methodical. And at her wedding, I brought the box that my shoes are supposed to be in. Um, but the shoes weren't in it. They were like very light, you know, ballet flats. And I opened it and they weren't in there and I had to run back. And she was like, I'm going to kill you, you know, like, and I just always was like, I, I always wanted to do a good job, but it just seemed like I wasn't able or that like people thought I didn't care. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, <laughs> I think I can see that in my own life uh, in, in different degrees. So, I mean, w- you know, obviously, you know, when I, when I hear this, I'm thinking about some the common elements of, of ADHD being disorganized, you know, bad time management, where, and also, you know, running late. So, so in that regards, did you find yet that managing, sticking to a diary or, or, or a time or, or, or just trying to plan things? Was that, did you find that difficult? Definitely, you know, and, and always having the best intentions. I remember, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I'm a writer now, but in English class in high school, I'd always get behind with the reading, you know, because I really thrived in social environments too. And I just wanted to like be social, which partly is, you know, 
um, being young. And, um, but yes, at this point, I very much live in my Google calendar and I'm very dedicated to, to keeping organized. So let's get into, you know, later on in life now, you know, did you, through this whole entire, this whole entire thing that's going on beforehand, did you notice, you know, we, 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 you know, we've taken a look at some of your challenges. Did you notice any particular strengths? Because you mentioned right now that you, that you were a very, frankly, a social butterfly. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, but I also like, it's, I have a very, I'm very much an ambivert, you know? So there's some things like, I remember going to clubs and I really just like, hated it, but wanted to like it and wondered, you know, like, why do I hate this? And my favorite part was always, um, getting ready with my friends beforehand. So, you know, there was kind of this way in which in some environments I'd be overstimulated. Um, so I liked like small groups and so really figuring out what worked for me was important and being able to say no, like that, that kind of thing really doesn't work for me. And that's not what I really choose to do. And what, what did you find in regards to, in, in that regards, what did you find that worked for you? Um, as far as social life, social life, or, you know, obviously now when you look back, realizing that now that you're ADHD, what did you find that that was your strengths that, that, that in particular, that your ADHD had perhaps given you that particular strengths that versus that what's I'm looking for. That was basically the balance to your challenges. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think definitely I love system design, but I need help getting like keeping up with the system. And so keeping things entertaining, keeping things creative. I had a job where like, if I have a job where I have to just do the same thing over and over, I have to be constantly like designing better ways to do it. Like I cannot just implement, implement, implement. It will drive me crazy. So really kind of bringing creativity to whatever I'm doing and, and thinking about like constant improvement and constant learning. I, I really love that. And it's really keeps things fun for me. We, we, we've kind of painted a nice little picture here of how things were beforehand and what you've noticed were your strengths and challenges. So what then basically led, what was the trigger that led to the diagnosis uh, or for you, or frankly, what was the trigger that led to you wanting to get a diagnosis and finding out that you're, you're ADHD. So I, the year that my book was coming out, I was helping someone else with their book and it was 2018. And I interviewed someone about culturally induced ADHD. Um, and then also, you know, ADHD in general. And it was funny because I had forgotten about our appointment. <laughs> so he woke me up when he called me and, um, and then we did the interview and we got to chatting and about distraction. And he was like, oh, it sounds like you have ADHD. And I was like, oh, like, okay, yeah, I should get tested. But I, the year that I wrote my book, I literally worked from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. every day. And I made like $20,000 that year because I got paid so little for my book and it was so much work. And um, so I didn't have money to get diagnosed. And so I like took an online quiz and they were like, high likelihood of ADHD. And we were just like, ha ha ha, okay, great. Didn't really think about it. And then three years later, you know, I kept saying, oh, I, I need to get tested. I need to get tested. And at that point I'd gotten an assistant and I was like, okay, let's like really get me tested. So it turned out the guy that I was interviewing, um, the center where I got tested was named after him. So he knew a little bit about what he was talking about. And um, so, yeah, we, I got the test and he was like, oh yeah, we don't often get 20 out of 20. And I was like, okay, great. So, you know, it was really 
I've always just been like, why can't I do this? Why do I have to be like this? Blah, 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 blah. And to finally find an answer to that, why was pretty crazy. So I think it was like, okay, I really need to know, because if I know, then I can take the steps to address it in a serious way, not in an internet quiz kind of way. That's interesting. It's kind of funny, you know, that when I, when I chat with people about neodiversity and, you know, they're, they openly admit, especially when they're been lately diagnosed in life, it it's always someone else pointing it out to them, and, and it's someone else mm-hmm. that 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 has had that experience and saying, mm-hmm. you know, that you may be ADHD or dyslexic. Have you thought about getting tested? So it's always, you know, it's interesting how no one else caught it, but it takes someone who's lived it to notice it and to be able to point it out to you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, I read, I I believe it was an ADHD 2.0 where, you know, they talk about how it takes 13 years off your life. And on average, I'm like, this is a serious thing. Like we need to be talking about this more, you know? Yeah. It's funny enough. It's there's, there's a very well-known and for the life of me at this particular moment, I cannot remember his name, but he's a very well-known psychologist who studied ADHD uh, or or neodiversity in general, but particularly ADHD. He's an HD, basically say specialist. And he does point out, you know, that to, to your point, that those with, with neodiversity tend to have a shorter lifespan. And we can, we can chalk it up to being, you know, DNA in connection with, with, you know, brain, how the brains are different. Um, but at the same time, I think as well, I think a lot of that has to do with, are we creating the right environments for, for different people, right? And, you know, when we take a look at the situation where, I mean, it, this would be a nice and interesting question for you as well. Um, but when we take a look at a lot of neodiverse individuals, they spent a lot of energy trying to figure out how to fit in and then trying to fit in. And that's a, that's a huge waste of energy. Right, which then which then leads into a decay of how long they're going to live. So when you look back, you know, from what I just said, and looking back at at this late diagnosis, when you look back at how how your life was and how your life is now going forward, do you see, you know, for, for one aspect, that kind of energy being wasted, being taken away from you? Um, I don't certainly not as much anymore, you know, and like. I definitely know what I need now so much more. And so I can just give myself that and not continue to try to do things in the old way and be like, oh, that's not working out, you know? Um, and also being more honest with the people around me and be, and having a label for it, not just being like, oh, I can't do that. Or, you know, something like that. Like, it's not, um, it's not just like my attitude that's holding me back or not wanting to do something. It's like, oh, I have this kind of like, this way into the conversation, this diagnosis where I can say, okay, because of ADHD, I need this. And also like, I just love the community on social media and I love being able to find, you know, posts and being like, oh my God. And then I'll share the posts to my stories. And with my best friend, I was like, you know, when I got diagnosed, she's like, you know, what do you need from me? What like, and I just said, I'm just going to send you posts when they really resonate with me. And so that's kind of like, whenever I want to like tell her something or like explain what life is like, and I'm like, Oh, I see one that just like really hits. I'll just send it her way. Yeah. Cause you, you need to, again, there, 
they're out of the box, right? So they don't understand what, what it's like to be neo-diverse. So you, you, they need to understand, you're providing them with as much information as you can so they can see things from a different perspective that they've never seen before. And when you're looking, when you're looking back now, again, you know, since before you've talked about before an idea of, of some of your coping mechanisms and, and you, you, you've kind of hinted now um, in regards to what some of those coping mechanisms are now for you. Like now you talked about your calendar, you talked about developing systems. You even talked about going on social media and having, you know, your best friends being sort of a, a degree of support for you. So what other, you know, since you've gone through the research and, and understanding your ADHD, what what other kinds of systems have you developed for yourself? So, you know, definitely having a, a daily routine as much as possible. I try to work out every day and um, I ended up getting a, getting a personal trainer during quarantine because it had been a long time since I came back from living in South America and I hadn't done anything to keep up my Spanish. And of course I wasn't working out as much during quarantine. So, um, I was like, what if I, you know, I was like, if I got a personal trainer, it would be online anyway. So why don't I see if I can just find one in Colombia? And so I just translated personal trainer into Spanish, searched that phrase and Medellin, Colombia, which is like one of my favorite cities and found, um, a personal trainer named Hamilton. And we work out almost every day. And that's really been so important for me. And I think one of the things that really inspires me to try to earn as much as I can and really take care of my business is I see how much, um, how much spending money on accommodations helps, right. And how much like accommodations can cost. Right. So, you know, definitely it's certainly less expensive because he lives in Colombia, but it's definitely a chunk of change. And I'm like, you know, if something is really important and I've always struggled with it, if I can outsource it, I will. Like, I just know that that's handled. I know I work out, boom, handled. I mean, for something that I've struggled with so much because I think it's so boring for us, you know? Um, I really need checklists. I was just thinking about like, I'm pretty embarrassed to put it up, but like at night I could really use a checklist. Like I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I didn't take my eye makeup off last night. Like I find that kind of stuff really boring. Like, or I'll be like, Ooh, when was the last time I flossed? Like, oh yeah, I should be doing that every night. But it's like, I'm like, I just, I want like a checklist on my bathroom mirror, like morning and night. But it's like, what are you a three-year-old? But it's like, that's really what I need. <laughs> I don't forget the big stuff. Like I, you know, I brush my teeth, but it's like, wash your face, take off your makeup, especially, you know, with women, all of the steps we're expected to take, especially later in life. Um, and then I love my label maker, love a label maker so much. I finally got the like P touch cube, which I think is $200, but it has little pictures you can print. I am like, this is so fun. And I will, uh, I have no apologies about my label maker and, you know, and then I ended up, it was so funny. The, the month I got decided, a software that I designed for writers to stay organized called the Writer's Mission Control Center got approved as an official Google add-on. And I was like, and then I got diagnosed. I was like, oh, of course I designed a piece of software to keep writers organized because like, I can't stay organized myself. So, um, you know, I think just being like, I am going to do whatever it takes to get this handled, to stay organized to, you know, and to not be afraid. The thing that I've so far just been like, I'm too embarrassed to do that is to like put on my bathroom mirror, like floss, take off your eye makeup, you know, like wash your face. Um, and there's all kinds of things now with the lady stuff. Um, but, uh, so yeah, just kind of being like, like recognizing when something's not working and being like, what would have helped me in that moment? 
um, reminders on my phone, like left and right that pop up. Definitely too. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to, to a lot of things you said there. Um, it's, a, it's a constant little debate between my wife and I about trying to put things visual where I can see it. Because if I don't see it, then I just don't see it. It doesn't exist for me, you know? And, you know, it's, and, and it's a common, you know, maybe a lot, more, a lot of men are, 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 are visual ADHD or neodiverse, you know, but it's, it's that common you know, stereotype. You open the fridge. I don't see it. Well, did you look behind? You know, well, if it, why would I look behind? You know, if I don't see it, but for me, it's not that stereotypical thing. It's, it's, it's it completely related to my visual perception and, and visual, uh, visual motor. So, I mean, it's, it's a challenge for her to, and for others to understand, but they also, it also relates to the fact, um, my wife had found something very interesting and it, and the person who does it, she's a, a very, she'd be even become a TV personality in regards to organization. And uh, I, I encourage you to Google it because I think you'll find a lot of, it relates to a lot of people, you know, including yourself, which is, you know, what kind of bug are you in organization? Uh, are, are you a butterfly? Are you a cricket? Um, and I forget what the other two are, or a ladybug. Um, and what she, what she classifies is, is that, you know, people who are like super anal organized, they have files, it's labeled and everything, you know, that's a cricket, you know, and, and, and this is why they're a cricket. You know, then we look at someone like myself, which it sounds like that you might be as well. Uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a ladybug, you know, where I need to see everything. It has to be organized mm. and in a basket, visualized, or in your case, you know, a to-do list on a mirror, because if you don't see it, then you're not going to know where it is or what to do next. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, these kind of different organization techniques that's frankly related to, to the type of personality that you are, or in this case, to your neodiversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also like really breaking things down. This is something that's mentioned in the book, getting things done where it's like, what is the smallest step? You know, my, my assistant and I had a, we have like a social media meeting and we were like, what should we do? Like, we didn't get anything done. We were just kind of overwhelmed and we realized like we need more information. So then we got, we watched a video and any good tip we added as like a step in the meeting. And now it's so much more like I can handle it so much more because we go in there. We're like, first do this, then do this, then do this. And so that's, um, I think that's going to be really, really helpful. And I think you also pointed out something that's really interesting. And I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite think of it that way until you've actually said it. And again, it, it relates, I can really relate to it, which is the cost for accommodations. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I don't think, you know, in regards, I mean, when we talk about costs, we have to kind of separate it from working for a company. Because, you know, when we actually take a look at the numbers for, for a company providing costs, providing for accommodations, you know, majority of the time, it, it pretty much costs nothing. But when we take a look at the individual, you know, of what they need, I mean, you know, like when I take a look at my visual perception and, and, and relating it to my dyslexia, I need someone to proofread my work. I need someone mm -hmm. to check the spelling and grammar. And one of the, one of the barriers for me was not having someone 
or, or, or am I making enough to be able to pay for someone to do that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so when we take a look at that, there, there is definitely a barrier for individuals, which is quite challenging that you, there is a, a huge cost factor to be able to take that on, on a, on a personal level, to be able to support yourself in that way. Yeah. And, you know, and I definitely did not have those funds when I was first starting out and kind of to get over that hump was really hard. Um, and to realize that, you know, once I can get the things that really challenged me out of the way, not entirely, of course, but, you know, as much as possible, like, wow, it just, the difference is incredible. So you've, you've kind of mentioned earlier, so it's, it's a nice little segue um, into the aspect of let's talk about your business because you've written a book, you're a writer and, you know, well, let's take a look into the aspect of before, actually, before we get into your business, through your previous employment, I remember you telling me that through your previous employment that you 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 found your previous employment boring. So, what was it about your previous employment that that was challenging for you, and that led you to want to start your own business? Just, I mean, well, part of it is having been a Peace Corps volunteer, and you know, you're just kind of out in the wild in reality for so long, and then you come back, and you know. Like I really, in, in South America, I looked up at the stars and I looked for the stars that I knew. And of course I didn't see any of them. And I was like, oh, this is really what's on the other side is more outer space. Like we're literally both sides. And I got like dizzy for a moment. It was crazy. And then to come back from having your mind blown like that. And then to be back in a cubicle, I hate the way people talk in offices. I'm like, why do we pretend we're like this? Um, I just hate all the all the fake fakeness and that it just all feels so artificial from the, you know, padded beige cubicles to the way people act, um, being around people you wouldn't really choose to be around. Um, and so I just wanted more control over my life, especially living in Seattle. Remember one day in the summer, it was like a beautiful day and it was going to rain that weekend. And so I was spending all the beautiful days in the office and the days I was going to be off were going to be rainy days. And that's really hard in Seattle. Like if you don't live in Seattle, it's kind of hard to imagine, but it's so, you're just like, oh, I just want to go outside so bad. And a freelance graphic designer came into the office for an hour and then left, you know, and I realized like, I'm not allowed to leave the building. Like, I'm not allowed. Like I'm a grown woman and I'm not allowed to leave this building for no reason. Like I, my kind of work could have been done. You know, obviously ER nurses can't just like be like, "Ah, I'm going to work the weekend. Right. But the kind of work that I was doing, I could have done that Saturday when it was raining. So I just wanted more freedom and control. And, you know, I read in, I believe in ADHD 2.0 that like, if you have ADHD, you're three times as likely to own your own business. I think we just, we just need that freedom. We don't like people telling us what to do. Um, and yeah, and I, I'm willing to work really hard to get it. And I have worked really hard to set it up. Fantastic. Now that kind of leads into to the, uh, an interesting question. Um, you know, when we take a look at, at businesses, they tend not to support one's strengths and they, they tend to focus more on an individual's challenges. And then when many entrepreneurs and particularly neo-diverse individuals start up their own businesses, they the main... The, the main aspect is that they focus on their strengths and they find support for their challenges. 
So when you look back to being employed, what did you find where, where you weren't supportive and you weren't valued for? And then how have you set up your business where you're focusing on your strengths and you've really kind of pretty much hinted, you know, at a lot of things you're doing for your challenges. But let's talk, focus on the strengths aspect. Yeah, you know, so I remember one, um, right when I got back from Peace Corps, I really needed a job like immediately, which was terrible emotionally. Like it's really hard to come back from Peace Corps. So I started temping immediately and they didn't have any clear instructions for us. And I was like, I need more clear instructions. And so I was like, anytime they said something to us, I was like, okay, I'm going to write that down. I'm making us a, you know, a, I'm making us an instructional guide. And, you know, I heard from my boss that some people thought that I was like wasting time doing that. And I was like, if you think it's wasting time to write clear instructions, like (laughs) that is not good management. So, um, so that was one way in which, you know, I think people just kind of are expected to work in chaos. And what's interesting about people with ADHD, I've noticed in my experience is that we can't handle chaos and yet we, we create chaos. So when I'm around a lot of other people with ADHD, it can be really hard. Cause like, oh no, I like only one of us can be the chaos master. So I have a very interesting relationship with chaos and organization, um, you know, a lot of my creative writing is about how confusing I find the world. And then a lot of my money-making writing is organizing things for people, um, whether in a piece of software or in checklists and things like that. That's an interesting take, um, the chaos aspect. I mean, first off, I completely agree with you in the, the lack of clarity. Um, I often say that, that managers or, or even colleagues communicate as if they're understood and but don't take the time to ensure that they're actually that the other person understands they may uh, the Mm -hmm. person speaking may understand but but not the person who they're communicating to now when we talk about chaos i mean adhd is about well it's not about focus in actuality you are focused it's more of an it's more of an issue of managing where you're focusing so when you say chaos, is it, a, is it chaos in the sense of that you're trying to focus on too many things? Or- sure. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think, you know, I'll find myself in a meeting talking about one thing and then I'll like go over here and then I'm like, okay, wait, coming back. And I get like kind of embarrassed. Like, oh yeah, I just realized I just went on like an ADHD tangent, but I'll, you know, and it's good. I know some people who don't want people they work with to know they have ADHD and I respect that that's fine, but I find it very, you know, kind of like freeing and a bonding uh, mechanism where I can be like, Oh, there's my ADHD, you know, and we all know it's there and like, we'll just come back and deal with it because I truly do believe that it has as many benefits as challenges, you know? And so that, can be very helpful and I'm just better at accepting it now. Uh, out of curiosity, because I was reading an interesting article. Um, when when you're when you're jumping from one focus to the next, there's something known as time blindness. Mm-hmm. Where the concept of time blindness, you know, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with it, but the concept of time blindness is that when you're switching, you're completely unaware of where time is and how, 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 you know, where, how much time you're spending on particular things. And, and in actuality, 
you know, according to the article, a, a lot of ADHDers are just completely, utterly unaware of time. And that's where the, the tools of, of having a calendar or, or a productivity tool like Todoist or Trello comes into play. So would you agree with that, 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 that assessment? Um, I do have to use, I use timers a lot. You know, I mean, my phone is always by me and I'll be like, set a timer for 15 minutes, set a timer for this. Um, and that is a way that I free my mind because I think that, that, yeah, that is, I would say that I'm legally time blind, not like fully time blind. <laughs> um, I've known people who are definitely time blind and I'm like, and it made me a little crazy. Um, I, and that's the thing. I think like, we all need to know our weaknesses or our challenges and just handle them. Right. Like we all have we all have challenges, but if you want to be a leader, you know, if you're a parent, like you've got to do what it takes to get them handled or you're not going to get to where you want to go. And so I'm very dedicated to being like, okay, I have a problem with time, but I think I'm really good with time. I'm rarely ever late now because I grew up in a family that was late all the time and I really hated it. So, you know, we're so lucky we have the cell phones that we have today and, and the tools we have today. Um, but I definitely do, I do something that um, my sister and I call maximizing, which is an idea for, I learned about from um, um, the paradox of choice where you're trying to do like everything. It's like, we don't have that kind of filter of like, oh, I have an idea. Let me think about if it's a good idea to do or not. And so now, but now that we know that concept, we can say, okay, is this maximizing? Is this too much? And we're kind of able to, to back off of it. I want to ask for clarity on that. Can, 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 you, can you explain the concept of maximizing? Yes. So there's maximizers and satisficers. So let's say you're going to a, a music festival and you're like, I'm a maximizer. So I want to get the maximum value out of this as possible. So, okay, we got to go to this one and then we're going to leave 20 minutes early so we can get a good seat at this you know, this stage and then we're going here da, 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 and you're trying to squeeze the maximum value out of something. So if we're on a vacation, sometimes we will just try to do too much. Um, satisficers are like, I'm going to go and I want to have a good time and like kind of just go with the flow more and satisficers are happier is <laughs> the important thing. And I've learned to be more of a satisficer, which is really, really nice. Um, and definitely more, more chill. And I like that, but, um, yeah, it can be a challenge because we have so many ideas. I think ideation is something I'm very good at and I have lots of ideas. And in my business, that is one of my biggest challenges. I have a lot of different projects. I have a lot of different businesses. And so paring down, cutting, cutting, cutting um, is really, really tough for me. I want to do everything. You talked about interesting enough in, in regards to the workplace where, where you were trying to write things out. Uh, in regards to clarity. So that definitely has led into basically identifying your strengths as a writer and having a passion for writing. So what is it about writing that you find enjoyable or passionate about to make a career out of it? And why is it a great communication tool? So I think, first of all, I think because I, you know, had so much swirling going on inside me for as long as I can remember, it was a great way to kind of calm myself and get those words out on the page where they sit still, <laughs> which is nice. And so just feeling that relaxation after 
um, after writing expressively has always been great for me. And the great thing about ADHD, I'm writing a novel right now in a very ADHD kind of way where it's like, I just, you know, I'll write here, I'll write there. And I'm trying to write it from start to finish now. Um, my first draft, I'm like 70,000 words in. And, um, but even this chapter, I was like writing notes and I'm like, okay, when he gets there, this, okay, but, but at the end, this should happen. Okay. But before that, this, you know, and just writing it in this very ADHD way. And I think it can be a better communication tool than speaking sometimes because you have time to organize your thoughts. You can get out that first draft in a very disorganized way and then organize it by editing. So going back to being understood, how can we use writing to be more effective when we're communicating to ensure that we're understood whether it's between a manager to an employee or from one colleague to the next. Mm -hmm. There's a book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath that I really love. It has some great basics and really asking for feedback. And also I really like to communicate not only ideas, but the stakes, um, why I care about something. And then also my emotions around it. You know, I, I've, I think we've all had bosses where you're like, oh, I think they're mad or, you know, you don't know, you don't know how they feel. And so, you know, I'll say to my team, like probably the worst, if I'm feeling super frustrated, I'll just be like, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated because X, Y, Z, but I know we're going to get past it. So like, I don't hide my feelings. They know how I feel. I tell them when I'm excited. I tell them when, you know, I'm proud that we got through something. Like I take a moment to acknowledge the emotions of a scenario and then also create a plan around it. I like that. Now you're, you're, you're in the process of, of building your business and you, you have a team around you. And when we take a look at trying to build a business to, to be inclusive, you know, when we take a look at stats, for example, in particular with ADHD, you know, 30% clash in the workplace, 60% find themselves unemployed. So when we look at that, how can we build a company to be as inclusive as possible and to provide, you know, and accept accommodations? Well, I think, you know, we all have to be honest about what we need at work. And I think also we need to shift our focus from the time-based, place-based work to value-based. And, you know, it's like, how do you bring the value as an employee that you are paid to bring and what accommodations do you need around how you bring it? And really being a little bit more creative and not being this like one size fits all kind of company. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. It, and it requires, you know, where it's a change of management style where you're, where you're being very people centric and identifying strengths and supporting challenges and allowing people to, to be able to come as they are without any, any criticism or judgments. And when we take a look at, at value base, this is where you know the concept of role comes into play, for example, which is result-only work environments. You know, so it's not about, you know, did you work nine to five on Monday to Friday? It's more of 
I don't care how you get it done, just get it done and deliver on the day that, that we ask you to deliver it. And, and, the, and the amount of time in pay, whether it's contract work or employee work is the same. That's kind of why I like contract work. Although I, you know, it does have its downsides for sure. So you have to balance those, but it's like, listen, I can do what I need to do. You let me know what you need done. I will get it for you. You don't get to say what I wear, how I talk, where I am, how I dress. Like, I'm just going to get my work done for you. And I've always loved that. Well, here's an interesting question, because when we take a look at contract work, right, um, they always try to equate it to, well, how many hours is that? Because you're asking for, you know, your, 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 your quote is asking for X. Well, how does that break down to hours? Right? And, and in actuality, it's not about the hours. It's about, you know, what the, the end product's going to be. So what's your take on that? I hate that because, you know, I'm like, you're not paying me for my hours now. You're paying me for when I lived in a 150 square foot apartment, making $20,000 a year, learning to be a great writer, you know? So with, you know, with coaching, I spend half an hour a week with people and it's like, I can help you in half an hour, make your story. Uh, so, you know, as better as you could make it at the level you're at in five hours, because I used to be that slow, but now 20 years in, I'm not. So I'm, you're paying for the transformation, not the time. That's a very good answer like that. So, I mean, Let's come from a different angle now. And I want to try to expand on a little bit more, you know, so you're building your business, you're, you're, you're building your business, you know, from the ground up to be inclusive. And I mean, and obviously, you know, when we take a look at businesses with your team or with any business in general, not your team in particular, you know, it's always, you know, you're, you're putting out fires and the idea of culture and inclusion is something that will happen later when, when you're more established or, or, or a bigger company. So with that understanding, what advice would you give to businesses and in particular startups uh, in regards to, to, to being inclusive from the beginning? in particular, when we talk about neodiversity? You know, I think that, you know, when you said putting out fires, I realized like, I don't spend that much time putting out fires. And I love that because I grew up in fire, you know, and I really have dedicated myself to self-development and figuring out, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people was the first book I read where I was like, oh, there are instructions. It is not a secret. (laughs) like I can do this. Right. So, you know, he talks about sharpening the saw and, um, you know, begin with the end in mind. And so if you want to be an inclusive organization doing that now, before someone comes in and says, you know, Hey, you don't have any employees, you know, you're not accommodating employees that need X, Y, Z. You don't have any employees, you know, look at your employees. They're very homogenous. Right. Um, which is a really uncomfortable place to be. And that's a fire that you're going to have to put out. So in, in everything, I remember I was, um, I was helping with a web design for a company and they said, oh, well, this color combination isn't, you know, doesn't go along with this certain standard um, for visually impaired people. Like, do you want to change it? Or like, you know, is that important to you? And and the guy said, well, we want to be a leader in all areas. And I thought that was so like, I was like, wow, that's like a really respectable stance. 
And it's kind of like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So I'm certainly not perfect in every way how I run my business, you know, but I do say, um, I think this is a Tony Robbins quote where he says like, don't put 20 mile an hour wheels on your business because then when it's going hundred miles an hour, the wheels are going to fall off. So start designing your business now as if, right. As if it's a $5 million, $50 million business. Um, you know, and I, I had to, uh, one of my business partners, like once it, I use LastPass to keep, to organize my, um, passwords and that has been amazing. And, you know, she wanted to keep our passwords in, uh, in a document. And I was like, like, and I kind of just had, it was one of those business, you know, partner things where you got to like pick your battles. But I was like, this is a 20 mile an hour solution to where are our passwords, right? In my own business that I run by myself and I call the shots, I do it on LastPass um, because I want to be going hundred miles an hour. Fantastic answer. Um, cause definitely with the seven habits, I, I, I've read that book as well. And, and there's definitely a lot of very insightful things in there. And it all starts as well, you know, developing the right mindset. You have to have the right mindset to, and, and one of the things I liked about it was what are your values and what, what are the values that you need to establish for yourself that, that you're going to basically guide your life by. And, and in this particular aspect, what are the values for your business that you want to, to, to have now? So, I mean, if you want to be inclusive, it's not going to be being inclusive, you know, when you are a hundred million dollar company, it's being inclusive now, you know, so, so that you're, you're, you're starting with the right foundation from the beginning, not later. We've covered quite a lot of bit of information here, Paulette. And so that, and this is now coming down to in regards to your business and what you do and in regard, especially in regards to your writing. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, you've been published in a number of magazines, you've, you're, you've written a book, you're currently writing a book. So what, what are you doing in regards to your business that, that could be helpful to the audience? Well, for people who, you know, want to be writing, um, whether it is, you know, for, for your, for your own journaling or for your business, um, or to get your voice out there or to be a writer, I do have, um, a free year of daily writing prompts and those are at welcome to the writer's life.com and you'll see it in a pop-up and, um, you know, I do coaching for writers as well. I have a 10 week program called your personal editor where I help, um, you know, anyone from, I'm working with someone right now who's in a marketing department at a large corporation, write better emails. Um, I help people with, with fiction and nonfiction as well and essays. So, and that's been really wonderful. Oh, I also have too my um, meditation and writing group called a very important meeting where we meditate for 10 minutes and then write together for 45 minutes. And that's been very helpful for focus. So that's at a very important meeting.com. Fantastic. So that gives us a, a really jam packed about what you do and how people can reach you. So I, I want to thank you, Paulette, for sharing your story with my community. And I encourage you all to contact Paulette on the various coaching services that she provides uh, and also her free uh, writing tips that she sends out to, and I take it a newsletter or email that you provide. And I'm, as always, I'm gonna put Paulette's contact details in the show notes. As I take this podcast further, I'm looking for ways I can engage with you to create more amazing content. It's because of this I've created a Patreon page where you can connect with me more directly in several options, 
including where you can watch a full video of past and current uh, interviews such as this. You can also find me on social media, and I encourage you to join my groups in either LinkedIn or Facebook. I've also posted in the show notes. Till next time, take a leap and transform.